about an increasing weight of the presence of God, His glory, Lavish His <laughs> lavishness of His glory, the substance of who He is. Isaiah 60, verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. That's our prayer. That's our uh, Goal. That's what we're aiming at. For behold, darkness covers the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. If the presence of God is light, we have a whole lot of the earth that isn't walking in that presence. But the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And Gentiles will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your shining. Wonderful. We're wanting to see an increase of God's glory. We've talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, we're into the pattern for that. Uh, we see an increasing glory as we align with his pattern and his promise. And I told you that we're going to kind of jump between the New Testament and the Old Testament and see how the Old Testament points forward. And we're going to do a little bit of that this morning. So uh, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Chronicles 13. If you don't have a Bible and you just read the overhead behind me, you're probably already there. We better pray. Lord, thank you for your presence. It's just uh, humbling that as we worship, you manifest your presence among us, that we have the freedom because of Jesus to come boldly to your throne room of grace. And Lord, that's what we want to do. We want to come to where you are. We want to align ourselves with you. Holy Spirit, make adjustments in us so that we build according to your pattern and priorities. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Chronicles 13, from verse 1. David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel and, and with them to the priests and the Levites who are in their cities and their common grounds that they may gather together to us. And let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. And all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from all of the Israel, all those names. Uh, <laughs> and they came to Kiriath, Jiriam. And David and all Israel went up to somewhere else, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from, from there the ark of, the God, of God the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. So here's their, their goal, is to bring the ark, which represented the presence of God. That's the dwelling place of God, who, who dwelt there. So that ark, that box, represented to them the very presence of God. And so they're saying, let's go get the ark, which is in this city. And I'll tell you about that in just a moment. And they said, let's bring it back to Jerusalem. So this is one of the first things David does after becoming king, 
It's his desire to see the presence of God. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ohio. Those guys drove the cart. And David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. So you've got, understand the story here. You've got this incredible degree of unity because everyone came. All the leaders believed it was God. They're there. Everyone's worshiping. It's this wonderful thing. And then they came to Tilden's threshing floor. Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark. And he died there before God. And David became angry. Let's go back. Why did they put it on a cart? Have you ever wondered that? We turn it back over to 1 Samuel. A little bit of a history lesson here. 1 Samuel chapter 4. And we see here in chapter 4 that the ark is captured. Uh, what happened is that there was this battle with the Philistines. And uh, if you read back, the, the people weren't really walking with God. But there was this battle with the Philistines and they were getting beat. So somebody said, well, let's go get the ark and bring it here to us because bottom line is it'll be lucky. (laughs) Verse 4, so the people went to Shiloh that they might bring the ark of the the covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Now these guys were not walking with God at all. If you read the story, they were absolutely uh, evil guys. But uh, they go get the ark, and the bottom line is, verse 11, the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And the result was that uh, one of these guys' wife had a baby, and she named the baby in verse 21, the glory has departed from Israel. Named the child Ichabod, the glory has departed they recognized that when the ark was captured, the presence of God, the glory of God, has left. And so then what happens is that the Philistines captured this thinking that we've got the, the presence of God now. We've, we've added this other God to our pantheon of gods. And so they set the ark in the temple next to, to Dagon, their God. And they came the next day and Dagon's lying on the ground. And they went, well, that's not good. So they set him back up and pretty poor God (laughs) that needs people to set him back up. And they came the next day and not only is it lying on the ground, but his head and his hands are removed. And they went, okay, maybe this God who is stronger than our God isn't blessing us. Rather than turning to God, they tried to send the ark somewhere else and they did and it went to someone else's place and they all got sick, they had tumors. Uh, And then the bottom line is in in chapter 6, they're saying, okay, what do we do with this? We better send it back. This isn't good. So not knowing what to do, in verse 7, therefore they made a new cart and take two milk cows which have never been yoked and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them and take the ark of the, of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold. They made these sacrifices and they, they just let it go. 
So they basically said, we don't know how to, do, to handle this, so we're going to set this ark on a cart, and we're going to hope that God somehow directs these cows. And sure enough, rather than return to their calves, they wander out the road, and they go all the way to Israel. And so that's how the, the ark got back there. It came to a place, and it ended up in kirath uh, which is where it was when David then says, let's, let's go get the ark uh, and return it to Jerusalem. And so basically what he did was he just followed the pattern of the world. He put it on a cart because the Philistines had put it on a cart. They're the world. They didn't know what to do, so they did this, and David kind of must have thought, hey, it seemed to work before. Let's do it again. Think about that. How often do we try and build church according to the pattern of the world rather than what God says or our lives? So David had just followed the way of the world until we get over to 1 Chronicles 15. I mean, David was angry, and so they left the, the ark there uh, where it was. And uh, the guy whose house it was got blessed. And in uh, chapter 15, and it says in, in uh, starting at verse 1, David built houses for himself in the city of David. He prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And he said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. So he gathered all the people together. And then from verse uh, 12, he said to them, You're the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites, the priests. Sanctify yourself, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord to Israel, to the place I prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper way. We didn't do it God's way. We did it the way of the world. And it didn't work. And so David actually went back and, and said, let's take a look at this. Let's do some research and find out what should have happened. So the priests and the Levites, verse 14, sanctified themselves to bring the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And, and the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by the poles, as Moses had commanded, according to to the word of the Lord. What do we see? God's pattern was that the ark was carried on the shoulders of the priests. The ark representing the presence of God was a type of the new covenant where we are all priests. The point of the story is we all carry the presence of God. As priests, we carry it. It's not here when you get here if you don't bring it. It's not up to the worship team to pick the right songs and set the atmosphere to bring the presence of God. It's us aligning ourselves with God, with his pattern, with his, his priorities. We're the priests who carry the presence of God on our shoulders. 
every one of us. See, the New Testament says that your body is the temple or the tabernacle or dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19. But 1 Corinthians 3.16 says you all are the temple or the dwelling place of the Spirit. You've got this incredible thing. You are the dwelling place of God and we together are the dwelling place of God. Now, does that make sense? If you're carrying the presence of God, when we get together, that presence is what? Just multiply. You still with me? We talked last week, or the week before, that one of the keys to an increasing weight of God's presence or glory is worship. What you need to understand this. God values each one of us so much that our participation counts in us aligning ourselves with him for his glory. You carry the presence of God. We align ourselves with his presence as we worship. When we worship together, there's something of the magnified presence of God that is released. And every single Person counts. That's a heavy thought. Think about that. Now, I, I could give you a whole bigger picture, but yeah, I might give you some time. The, the whole focus of the Bible is us coming into intimacy with Jesus, but then, but then us together being a bride for Christ. That's the end of the story. But we're, we're then cells, part of that body that becomes the bride. Every single cell counts, but it's the cells together that becomes the bride. Jesus died for you. He restores you to himself. You become engaged to him, betrothed to him, Paul says, individually, but there's something of us together that becomes the bride. I don't understand it, except this. You have a part of that. And your worship is key to the manifestation of God's presence. In the negative, we see that in the Old Testament with the story of uh, the Israelites. They took Jerusalem, and then they're going to take Ai, the next city. And one of the guys, a guy named Achan, takes something he shouldn't, and they lose the battle. One guy. They lose the battle, and people died. And then they find out who the guy was. Think about that on, from the negative side. That's the negative, but think about that on the positive. One person. Has brings something of the presence of God. Every single one of us. You still with me? Let me take a couple moments and see if I can't dismantle some of the excuses that we have for not worshiping. As I've told you, I was raised in an evangelical church 
Uh, and later on, I got filled with the Spirit and began to see a whole new type of worship. See, I grew up with worship. It was just hymns. We had hymnals. We stood there. We sang the hymns. I know all the hymns. We sang the hymns. Very comfortable standing like this. And then we had this new type of worship, and they began to use overhead projectors, so you didn't have to have hymn, hymnals. And I saw that people began to raise their hands. Now, you have to understand, my hands are comfortable right here, <laughs> holding a hymnal. But as I was around this more, I began to say, okay, well, maybe there's something in this. So my first step of raising my hands was here. <laughs> that, was, that was brave, was it? Now, you know why that was. One, they were comfortable here, but you can't see that I'm raising my hands, right? I look like just normal. And I began to uh, take a look at why, why did I struggle? And I realized that there were a number of things that had affected me. So I'm going to just share with you some of my journey in this. One was that uh, I didn't realize it, but I was following the pattern of the world. Now, how, how did, was that, you would, you would ask? I went through this season when I was in my teens, where as I began to mature, my voice changed. Any of you guys ever go through that? No, I haven't got there yet. <laughs> but in that season, the message I received was very clear. You can't sing. And to be honest, I couldn't. But I believe that going forward. And so the pattern of the world was that only excellence is good. If you're not a great singer, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Added to that was just a bit of insecurity. More concerned about what other people thought. Well, I could raise my hands like this because nobody can see that I'm raising my hands from behind me. There's a reason why I normally stand in the front. <laughs> because nobody can see. But then I realized as well, I had a wrong perspective of God and of worship. And so began to see something, and I want to help you see that. We're going to see a little video only to give us perspective. This is not a science lesson, though it will seem like it. I just want to give you a little perspective. 1 Kings 8.27 says, Heaven and the highest heavens can't contain you. Okay? Just watch this. About six minutes. Since the universe is a big place, we could easily get lost. So, we'll need signposts to give us a sense of scale. 
Mr. Acrobat's ring is one meter wide. The crowd is 10 times wider, 10 meters across, larger by one power of 10. Now, with every step, every ring, we travel 10 times farther from Venice, and our view of the universe is 10 times wider. The 100-meter ring surrounds St. Mark's, and 1,000 meters, one kilometer, the city center. As our speed increases, four steps, four powers of 10, reveal all the islands of Venice, the Adriatic Sea, and the mainland of northern Italy. Six steps take in Europe from central Germany across Italy to the Balkans. And soon we can see the entire planet, our home in space. Eight steps on our outward journey, eight powers of ten, and we pass the farthest reaches of human travel, the moon. visualize the paths that the nine planets take in their orbits around the Sun. At 13 steps from St. Mark's Square, the entire solar system comes into view. And with 15 steps, 15 powers of 10, we can see that our sun is just another star. From here on, our voyage will be measured in light years, the distance light travels in an entire year. Only now do we fly past our nearest neighbor stars, almost five light years away. The same journey at the speed of today's spacecraft would last 100,000 years. Across the perpetual night, our voyage takes us up and out of our sun's neighborhood near the edge of a great pinwheel of stars. just one of a hundred billion stars in it. At this immense scale, 23 powers of 10, each shining light we see is not a star, but an entire galaxy composed of countless stars. 
Astronomers have discovered that the galaxies are flying away from one another. The universe is expanding. Our own galaxy and all the others form clusters and superclusters of stupendous size, hundreds of millions of light years across. And here, about 15 billion light years from Venice, we approach the outer limits of the visible universe. What lies beyond this cosmic horizon, we cannot see and do not know. Thank you. <laughs> the point being, if the heavens and the highest heavens can't contain him, God's bigger and greater than we comprehend. See, something happened when I realized that worship isn't about me and my preferences. It's about him and his pattern. All of a sudden, my excuses became infinitesimally small. <laughs> I can't even say that. But it hit me that when he says we enter his presence with singing in Psalms 100, I'm going to sing. He didn't say I have to sing as well as the world. He didn't even say I have to sing good. He actually takes that into account where he says, make a joyful noise. As long as my heart's joyful, but I'm going to sing. And he says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. I just said, I'm going to give thanks. We enter his courts with praise. I'm going to praise according to his pattern. Not the world's, not my insecurity. There are about 50 words. My wife is studied all of them, that refer to worship and praise in some way in the, uh, in the Bible. One of them is this thing, it's yadah, it's the throwing out of the hands, the raising of the hands. I just said, okay, God's big enough that I don't care what anyone else says. If my hands go up, they're going to go up as far as I can get them. What happened is that when I began to do that and respond to the word, not my feelings, 
I began to feel something different. I began to feel the approval of God. And eventually I began to experience the presence of God. If you haven't experienced the presence of God, let me tell you, let me encourage you. Just simply do what the Bible says. Begin to, to enter his gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise. Sing. Oh, but I'm not a singer. Yes, you are. God made you a singer. You have a voice and you have a vocal cord. If sound comes out of your mouth, you're a singer. Not how the world says, because the world's pattern is to stop you. Okay, now here's where it gets fun. This awesome God who the heavens and the highest heavens can't contain is the one who says, what you bring counts for my glory being poured out in your midst. What? The heavens and the highest heavens can't contain the awesomeness of God. And he says that what Josh brings is important. And we're never going to see the total release of his glory until he brings that presence of God. Until you bring the presence of God is carried on the shoulders of the priests. Why God designed that in his pattern is beyond us. I think it has something to do with us being the cells of his body together that will become a bride of Christ. That's my speculation. I don't know. But the reality is that every single one of us counts. That's amazing. It's beyond what I can comprehend. Mary's been listening to a song. Uh, it's very hard to sing. We're not going to sing it. Uh, but it has this really strong drumbeat, one of them. But it also says that the rocks are not going to cry out in my place. Jesus says to the, the uh, Pharisees, he said, they say, stop the people from worship. He said, if they don't, the very rocks will. The rocks are going to cry out in my place. I tell you, the rocks are not going to cry out. Praise to God in my place. Let me encourage you. So, we're going to give it a try. We're going to actually just do another song. I want to encourage you. Don't worry about people. Focus on him. If you're one of these who doesn't sing, just sing. If, you, if you're afraid that you sing really bad, go stand in the corner. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, we don't care. But let's just make sure our focus is on him. Our heart is full of joy. And we want to see an increasing weight, substance, of his presence. And one of the part of God's pattern to see that happen is that every single one of us is important. That's just amazing. Can you stand? <laughs>